So three years ago, March the 6th, 2017, there was uh, some fires that started and it, it was pretty evident as we drove through the back roads of the severity of the, uh, the decimation to the countryside, to the cattle, to the ranch homes that were in embers as we drove by. And that's probably where, where it became apparent to me that there are people's needs that were outside of our immediate zone that we really needed to, to make sure that we were checking on. Um, guys who maybe lost all their grass and had their cattle but had no way to feed them because their hay is all gone. Guys that lost all their cattle and then were up all night or throughout the week uh, euthanizing their own animals. That, that instance of seeing the, the American rancher, the Clark County rancher in that case, put their animals' needs and their families' needs above their own uh, quickly became evident that it was draining the life out of them in some cases and so um, really wanted to make sure that we were checking on those people while we were trying to handle uh, the needs of, of my family's ranch and then and then our neighbor's ranches uh, and I, you know an older guy he had uh, kind of come to the end of his time of being able to put down his own cattle and he said I, I can't make these decisions anymore I need you to come help me put these down and um, that's the point at which I it Quickly, I came to the realization um, this is bigger, this effort is bigger than just taking care of our cattle. It's, it's putting a pretty severe chokehold on people. Through that week and, and looking at what God was teaching us, the very first thing that he taught me was to be thankful that the sun came up the next day. Just in that regard in my own heart, if I can be thankful for what we have and and uh, the basic necessities, you know, where our neighbors had lost everything, that I could communicate that thankfulness and translate that into caring for other people. The cattle industry today is facing a, a severe challenge in terms of the market. Uh, it's a little bit different from the fires where that was an outright devastation. Today, we're faced with a, a second market fluctuation that's happened in the past uh, eight months. Last August, we experienced a, a huge drop in the cattle market, and now um, with the, the coronavirus scare and um, the fuel fluctuations, um, another drop has, has occurred. Two uppercuts like that in eight months is really, really hard to sustain for guys that are stretched thin on equity positions, um, guys that have cattle on feed that are losing hundreds of dollars a day per animal, and uh, my interactions and my relationships with guys in the cattle industry today and, and my own part in, in that industry in terms of an ownership standpoint affected me kind of like the fire in, in that when we heard what was going on on that Monday and I said, hey, we need to go down there. In the same way, I, I got that feeling last Monday, whatever day that was, that all the schools closed. And I said, there's guys out there that are losing money every day and that are gonna be at the end of their rope. I think that fire-hardened camaraderie to get an idea of what I desire from a, from a fellowship of a community. And I, I look at that in terms of what we do on a daily basis and how deeply we care for each other. When we share in communion, we are confirming or affirming that we trust that Jesus really lived on the earth and he really died for our sins. But when I look back and picture, you know, you, you see the wind-whipped faces of, 
people that are just out shooting their own cattle and you think, you know what, I, I'm going to go to battle with these people. And, and that type of camaraderie is, is in what we desire and I think what, what Paul encourages us throughout his epistles, to lock arms, um, to rise up to the challenges of this groaning earth and to say, we're united in the spirit and we're going we're gonna to fight for each other. Good morning. My name is Steve Ratliff. I'm the senior pastor here at Faith. And we asked uh, Mark to share his experience just to illustrate how God uses the hardships that we experience in our lives uh, to minister to other people. The lessons Mark learned three years ago during the fires in southwest Kansas really helped give him a perspective and help him uh, learn more, more fully how he can counsel others. And so it seems to me that, that one of the huge challenges for us during this COVID-19 uh, epidemic is, is to remain teachable so that we learn the lessons that God wants to teach us during these days. And I think it's important to acknowledge that different ones of us are experiencing this pandemic in different ways. Therefore, we're learning all sorts of different lessons this is illustrated for me this, this past week. One of my hobbies is actually texting my quote-unquote little nieces. And I call them, they, they live in Mississippi, and I call them my little nieces even though they're 27 and 29 years old. But I texted them this past week to see how they're doing during the pandemic. And uh, my first niece seems to be managing quite well. Here's her text. She said, honestly, I'm thriving, goofy face. Uh, hoping to make this a permanent lifestyle. How are y'all? And that may express what one or two of you have thought during the past couple of weeks. My second niece, however, in, is uh, having a very different experience. She's in charge of the children's programming at the local YMCA in Hattiesburg. Here's her text. She says, the Y is doing emergency child care for essential Forest County health employees. So I'm torn between helping them and not wanting to catch COVID-19. So for her, this pandemic has been, been very taxing, very, very stressful. And I share this just to acknowledge that our experiences, uh, experiences of those of you listening, will vary wildly. Uh, but if you are experiencing hardship and loss, if you are, are suffering, if this is a traumatic time for you, uh, this morning, I'm going to encourage you to, to hear what Paul is saying and to allow God to teach you some deep, deep lessons during this trial. If this pandemic has not been a particularly difficult time for you personally, that is completely fine. Hopefully, you've had more margin in your life and you're allowing your well-being to give you the, the capacity to... Uh, come alongside others who are suffering and to reach out to them in different ways. Now, for the purposes of applying today's passage, you might think to past hardships or to current hardships that aren't necessarily related to COVID-19 and, and apply the passage that way. But today's passage is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 12 through 18. And in this passage, Paul makes a couple of, of striking comments, comments that I'm going to encourage us 
to uh, be able to make one day. But, but what we're going to see in these comments is that Paul viewed his hardships very purposefully. They were not without meaning. And he, he viewed them uh, not as incidental, but he viewed them as essential for embodying the gospel. And it's worth pointing out before we look at this passage that Paul was able to make these two statements uh, only after 20 plus years of suffering and persecution. In other words, Paul learned these lessons the hard way over time, which happens to be the only way that we can learn these lessons, the hard way over time. And so don't be discouraged if you cannot yet make these statements that Paul does. And if your life has been turned upside down by this pandemic, uh, this may be a season for you to receive, not to give. And so don't worry if you can't say these statements from the heart yet. Uh, Remain teachable, persevere. God will do in your life what he did in Paul's life. First, if we remain teachable, we will be able to say along with Paul, the hardships that I have endured bear spiritual fruit in the lives of others. That's what we see in verses 12 through 15. What Paul says in these verses is very bold. He says, so in verse 12, so death works in us, but life in you. And here Paul is summarizing the preceding verses, the ones we discussed last week. Uh, Paul embodied the gospel so fully that his suffering demonstrated the death of Christ and his perseverance demonstrated the resurrected life of Christ. When Paul says that death works in us, he's referring to his experience of being delivered over to death. Every time he walked into a new town to, to tell people about Jesus, it was potentially a death sentence. But because Paul was willing to face death, the result, he says to the Corinthians, is life in you. Because Paul so fully embodied the gospel, the the Corinthians believed and they experienced life. Look at verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak. Paul is quoting Psalm 116.10 there. Uh, the psalmist there expresses that he couldn't help speaking about the Lord because he believed it so deeply. And in the same way, Paul believed the message about Jesus so deeply that he couldn't keep quiet. He had experienced God's power so abundantly in the midst of his suffering that he was compelled to share it with others. We come to verse 14, and Paul continues his thought, and he brings it back to the eventual resurrection of Jesus. He said, knowing this, and I love the way he refers to God, that he who raised the Lord Jesus, that's, how, that's who God is. So if you wonder who Paul talks about when he's talking about God, he's the one who raised Jesus. He will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. And we'll be talking about the resurrection more next week and, of course, on Easter morning. And this is going to be a different Easter morning than normal, right? Uh, in one sense, we are, we are grieved that we're not able to gather together in this place or in another place and worship the resurrection. But let me assure you that we will be celebrating the resurrection. 
perhaps more joyfully than we ever have. We will worship, celebrate the resurrection on Easter morning. But the principle behind Paul's statement here in verse 14 is that whatever happened to Jesus happens to those who are in Jesus. Now, Romans 6 spells this out more clearly than any other passage. There, Paul says that if you are in Christ, you have died with Christ, you've been buried with Christ, and you have been raised up spiritually to a newness of life. And so if you're in Christ, you now are a new creature in Christ. You've got new appetites. You've got a new capacity to honor Christ. But here in verse 14, he looks forward to the return of Christ And he says that since Christ was raised bodily from the dead, you will be raised bodily, just as Jesus was. In verse 15, Paul returns to the idea that his sacrifices were for their sakes, ultimately for God's sake. He says, for all things, everything I've experienced are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Paul cared about the glory of God more than anything else. And the connotation here in this context, the glory of God is basically God's reputation or God's fame. And the progression here is that Paul sacrificed to bring the gospel to the Corinthians. The Corinthians accepted the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And then they gave thanks for the salvation, the grace they had received. And finally, God's reputation swelled. And so Paul could, could draw a straight line between his suffering and God's glory. And so his suffering was purposeful because it bore spiritual fruit that eventually prompted people to give thanks and for God's reputation to swell. In chapter 1, Paul makes a, a very similar point. And he tells the Corinthians that the comfort that he received from Paul, from, from God, equipped him to comfort them. This is first, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So here again, we see how how Paul endured all the hardship he did with the result that it bore spiritual fruit in the lives of the Corinthians. But it's important to point out that this wasn't automatic. It might have gone another way. The reason why he could comfort other people is because he was comforted by God in the midst of his hardship. And I don't know if you're experiencing this right now, but, but many people, when they suffer, they tend to pull away from God. They tend to interpret their suffering, well, because I'm suffering, God must not care about me, and so I'm going to hold back from God. Paul did the opposite. When Paul suffered, he pressed in closer to God. That's when he experienced God's comfort. And because he experienced that comfort in the midst of his affliction, he could now turn around and he says, we can comfort uh, for others who are in any affliction. And so there was universal application for the comfort he had received. And so Paul was able to say this. He was able to make this statement. And, and uh, here it is. The hardships that I've endured bear spiritual fruit 
in the lives of others. And my premise here this morning, I think it's taught throughout Scripture, is that if we remain teachable in the midst of our hardships, we'll be able to say the same thing. And I don't know if you've ever uh, put it in those exact words or not, but I'm thinking about many of you who are part of this church, and many of you embody what Paul is saying here. You're able to comfort other people because of the the hardships that you've experienced. I've experienced that firsthand. Many of you have come alongside me, and you've been able to comfort me and give me perspective and wisdom uh, because of what you've experienced. And when I think about my own life, I can think of tough things that I've experienced that God has used in the lives of others. One example, Uh, until three or four years ago, I had never really experienced debilitating anxiety. When other people would talk about their anxiety, I didn't really dismiss it, but I couldn't relate to it at all. I had, of course, I've worried off and on, but uh, I'd never experienced what I would call debilitating anxiety. And so I could not really empathize with them. Uh, But after my experience three or four years ago, it lasted about two years, now I can empathize with them. I actually went to the doctor, had my heart checked out. Good news, your heart is fine. You're anxious, okay? But I had people in the body of Christ come alongside me. People give me wise counsel. I had friends sit with me and talk with me and tell me the truth I needed to hear had people pray for me. I had people that were patient with me through it all. And it's still tough sometimes, but uh, God taught me some things that are valuable when I talk with others. And I pressed into scriptures in ways that I never really had. And so you know this is true, but, but there's a huge difference between sharing untested theories and vague spiritual ideas. There's a difference between that and sharing out of the overflow of what God has done in your life. And so uh, the thing that keeps coming to my mind in the midst of this, this virus, this pandemic, is that we have to stay engaged. This is a strategic time for us in the life of the church and the body of Christ in general. Don't squander this opportunity to learn deep lessons that God will use for his glory in the lives of others. I'd encourage you to make a list of the hardships you're experiencing. I don't normally journal, but I am journaling during these weeks, months, however long it lasts. Uh, And and for example, uh, what are the hardships you experience? Some of you, because you have this stay-at-home order, uh, you're experiencing relational difficulties. Staying at home with your spouse, with your children, all day long, all night long, can be stressful. It can surface things. Uh, God might be teaching you patience. He might be teaching you sacrificial service. He might be teaching you self-control. He might be teaching you how to forgive or how to ask for forgiveness. These are deep lessons that God will use far into the future. Or God might be teaching you how to trust him for finances, to trust him for the future. Or you might be learning how to wait upon the Lord. Maybe that's just a scripture, Isaiah 40. Those that wait upon the Lord will regain new strength. Yeah, you've heard that, but maybe you're learning that in these days. It's a lot harder to wait for most of us than to take action and fix things and make things better. 
And so there are specific scriptures that talk about each of these issues. And scriptures aren't a quick fix. You don't just read a scripture. It's not like taking a pill and feeling better in the morning. Uh, but, but if we abide in Christ and let his word abide in us, if we let the word of Christ dwell richly within us, then over time, eventually, we will experience the deep nourishment and even healing that comes from the word. Then and only then, our hardships equip us to bear spiritual fruit in the lives of others. And so not everybody with experience is wise. If you live long enough, you'll have a lot of experience. We get through this ordeal, we'll all have experience, but will we have wisdom? Not everybody who suffers has compassion. If you live long enough, you will suffer, but only if we remain teachable will we have compassion, will we have wisdom. If you and I want to be able to say, the hardships that I've endured bear spiritual fruit in the lives of others, we have to remain engaged. We have to remain teachable. And so during this ordeal, seek God like you've never sought him before. Don't withdraw. Press in further. Take the time. Invest the energy. Seek and find God. Learn the deep lessons that God will use to bear spiritual fruit in the lives of others. And honestly, I don't know what God is preparing the church for, this church and the body of Christ. But I absolutely believe he's preparing us for something in the future, something very strategic for his kingdom. I believe it with all my heart. Well, second, if we remain teachable, uh, we'll be able to say along with Paul in verses 16 through 18, he basically says, my hardship produces for me an eternal weight of glory. Beginning in verse 16, Paul makes a series of contrasting statements between the outer and the inner, the seen and the unseen, the temporal and the eternal. In verse 16, Paul says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. To lose heart is to give up on a heart level. It's to quit putting your heart into something. But Paul says, even though I'm afflicted because it bears spiritual fruit in others' lives, I don't lose heart because I understand there are deeper realities at play here. And Paul doesn't sugarcoat his suffering. I appreciate that. He actually says the outer man is decaying. Earlier in the chapter, he said, we have this treasure in jars of clay, clay pots. And so the idea is that since our humanity is inherently fragile and mortal, suffering takes its toll on a person physically. But spiritually, something very different was happening. He says, even though our outer man is decaying, uh, our inner man, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Paul thrived internally because he sought God daily. He experienced new vitality day by day. And so his outer condition, his circumstances, his physical suffering did not dictate his inner condition. He experienced God's renewing power in the midst of his weakness. And in verse 17, Paul explains something. And I don't understand a fraction of what Paul says here, but what is very clear, uh, I don't want us to shy away from. Paul actually says that he understood that how he lived his life, how he lived in this life 
will influence what he experiences in the next life. He says this. He says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Paul says that the affliction he was experiencing in this life produces or results in eternal glory. There's a cause and effect relationship here between his suffering in this life and his glory, the glory he experiences in the next. This is very consistent with what Paul taught about rewards uh, every time he wrote about it. He says rewards are based on what we do. It's not based on what we think or what we know or what we, we say we believe. It, it's based, our rewards are based on what we do in the body. And Paul calls his afflictions momentary and light. You might read that and you go, yeah, you're not being serious here, Paul. If you go over to chapter 11, Paul kind of gives this catalog of his afflictions. And I don't know anybody that's experienced a fraction of what Paul has. If you go over there and you read it, Paul says, he says that he was beaten with rods, he was imprisoned, he was stoned, as in people throwing big rocks at him and leaving him for dead. He was robbed. Many times he went hungry and thirsty. He was exposed to the elements. He was cold for a day and a half. He was bobbing up in the water because he was shipwrecked. He was being taken to, to Rome. And we wonder, how could Paul refer to those experiences as momentary light afflictions? Well, I think Paul's being serious here because he, he viewed 30, 30 years of, of persecution and hardship as a moment is like a dot on the timeline compared to eternity. And he considered those afflictions light or minor compared to the eternal weight of glory. Paul so looked forward to that day when he would be in the presence of God. He put his sufferings in, the, in their proper context, namely the context of the next life. The New Testament does this over and over and over again. We're supposed to see what we're doing here and now in light of eternity. And the expression weight of glory is interesting. It's derived from the fact that the Hebrew word for weight is also the Hebrew word for glory. And the connotation is that glory, God's glory, the glory he shares with us, the glory that we have because of everything Christ accomplished for us, it is weighty. It is substantive. And this is kind of the opposite of what we often think. Uh, many people will give you the idea that, well, we're living in the real world now. What you can see, that's, that's what's real. That's the most real. And all this talk about heaven or this talk about the afterlife, that's, yeah, it's sort of real, but it's kind of, it's kind of fluffy. Yeah, Paul had the exact opposite idea. That was the real world, the weighty world, the one that will, will last for eternity. The picture we get from the, the scripture is that the next life will be very tangible. We're not going to be floating on clouds. We're going to be living in a new heaven and a new earth. We're not going to be ghosts. We're going to have bodies. We're going to have resurrected bodies akin to the body that Jesus had after the resurrection. He ate he invited people to touch him. Very tangible, even though it's a spiritual body. And notice that Paul said, an eternal weight of glory that's far beyond comparison. 
In other words, the glory that he'll experience is going to be far out of proportion. It will far outweigh the afflictions of this life. And why could Paul have this, this perspective? Well, he tells us in verse 18, it involves his focus. And I think this is the challenge for us in these days. Evaluate our focus. He says this, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The word look, he says, for we look not at certain things. That term means to ponder or carefully consider something. So he's telling us this is our focus. His attention wasn't on the things that are seen. And so he didn't spend all his time thinking about the scars that he had on his, on his wrists or on his back. He didn't, he didn't stare at, at uh, metaphorically, he didn't stare at all the people who had betrayed him. And there were many. He didn't focus on the dangers he had faced. He didn't focus on those things because those were momentary. They were light. They were temporal. They were time-bound. That One day they would fade away. They would be a distant memory. Instead, his attention was on the things which are not seen. He's already mentioned a couple of those. This renewal that he experienced in the inner man. You couldn't see it. Outwardly, he was decaying, but inwardly, he was being renewed. He focused on the eternal weight of glory that awaited him. He couldn't see it, but it was real. He fixed his mind on it. And no doubt he fixed on the promise, the prospect of being in the very presence of Jesus. Paul said, for me to live as Christ, to die, that's gain because I go directly into the presence of my Lord. And for Paul, Jesus was the most real being in the universe And so he fixed his eyes on him. He carefully considered those things because they were eternal. They were permanent. They were substantive. And remember, Paul is not advocating some type of escapism. He's not saying we distance ourselves or withdraw from the hardships we're experiencing. We don't disengage from the people and situations we're in. No, Paul says in verse 1, he says in verse 16, he's encouraging us not to lose heart, not to quit investing, not to quit serving people, serving Jesus in this life. But he's saying that if we're going to persevere, it's like if, if those hardships are here, we have to look past them. We have to look at the eternal, the, the, the things that will never fade away, focus on God. And so I ask, what will it take for you? What will it take for me to be able to call our hardships, even our current hardships, momentary light afflictions. Here's the question again. How can we get to the place where we can say along with Paul, my hardship produces for me an eternal weight of glory? How does that happen? Well, Paul has told us. He told us in verse 18, we have to be intentional. We have to be tenacious, setting our focus on the things God is doing in the unseen spiritual realm instead of being fixated on our hardship and our loss. And so many, many times a day, you'll have to take your attention from your hardship and the pain and the frustration and the disruption and take your focus back to God himself and to what he's doing, what he has promised. 
the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, what the triune God is doing in this world during these uncertain days. I've had examples of this this past week, conversations I've had, mostly through email. But one person mentioned that, that he tends to get his focus on the current events, the current situations, as many times a day. He's checking the news, he's watching, he's listening, he's reading the news, he's getting the latest update on COVID-19, okay? And he says, it's good to remain aware. He'll continue to do that. But he wondered out loud, what if I took this block of time that I'm spending on the news and I cut it in half? And I still check out the news here. But what if I took this other half and during that time, I meditated on scripture and I prayed for people and I reached out to people who, who might need encouragement. That's one way to do what Paul is talking about, fixing our eyes on the things which are not seen. Another person cautioned against comparing ourselves to others. And I don't know if this is a temptation to you or not, but the, the, the goal here is to really uh, embrace the role that God has given you, the assignment God has given you during these days. And so someone else may be on the front line, so to speak, doing semi-heroic things in our community uh, to fight this, this virus and to take care of people. But if your role is to stay home and to keep other people safe, then stay home to the glory of God. Pray for people who are on the front lines. Reach out to people who need encouragement. Uh, spend the time writing notes of encouragement. Or maybe for you, you may need to stop staring at your dwindling bank account or dwindling investments. Stop staring at your uncertain future. You may need to learn that you have a heavenly father who sees in secret. And so maybe you need to draw near to him in secret. And pray as Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Maybe that's what you need to do in order to be able to say, my hardship is, proving for, is, is producing for me an eternal weight of glory. One of the things that I, I am trying to do is instead of just being bored or wishing I could do something else, wish I could be out there with people, this is a hard time for extroverts, you may not know that, but I've been trying to redeem the time, buy it back. In other words, there are opportunities that God is giving me right in front of me. And so, again, I, I would plead with all of us, don't squander these weeks and months to learn how to focus on God and his eternal purposes. He's preparing us. He's equipping us so that we might be able to say, not only is God using my hardship for others' benefit, but my hardship is producing for me an eternal weight of glory. Man, if we're able to say that from the heart, that's priceless. That's reality. And so uh, I'm going to uh, pray now, and then we're going to play a song that was recorded earlier as a benediction. I think it will bless you greatly. And then after that song... Uh, be, there will be a couple of questions on the screen. If you're with people, you might dialogue, discuss those questions. If you're alone, ponder them, see how God would have you answer them. And then afterwards, uh, you will be dismissed from this worship service, but then we will have the next-gen programming. But would you please pray with me now?
Heavenly Father, we bring ourselves before you. Uh, God, we thank you that, there's, that we don't need to hide, that we don't have to hide from you. God, you know how each of us is doing, doing with the hardships that we're facing, or you know how we're doing with our lack of hardships. But God, we want you to teach us deep lessons during this time. We don't want to just get back to normal. We want to emerge from this as people who have learned lessons that will benefit others, benefit us and others far into the future. God, we want to suffer well. We want to, to embody the gospel during these days so that we can say with Paul that our hardships are producing an eternal weight of glory. We want to so long for your uh, eternal glory that we experience that we would suffer well. And so, God, may we be a people who, who uh, pay attention to you, pay attention to what you're doing around us. May we be people who invest deeply through prayer, through the word, through encouraging others. God, would you be glorified during this time? You have to do this. We're not capable in and of ourselves. But we pray you would do it. We pray in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.